Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It is March 10th, 2021. I keep wanting to say February, but it is definitely March. (laughs) It's a gloomy, rainy morning, so there you go. It is, I guess, spring-like, if that's what spring is. It's good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. And we take a break from our catechesis on... Uh, well, our continue, continuing reading, I should say, uh, on the Passion according to St. Mark, uh, today being Wednesday, it's the tradition of our churches to uh, recognize a midweek observance this evening at our uh, uh, evening prayer service at 7 p.m. We'll consider another one of the martyrs of the scripture. Um, this morning, though, I think I believe John the Baptist tonight, I'm a little bit behind. Um, We'll get there. Um, But this morning, we're actually considering um, some of the stories of uh, the the murders of the scriptures. This is what we've been doing on Wednesdays in the morning. And uh, today, the murder of the holy innocents. We'll look at that uh, in particular. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Our psalm is Psalm 109, verses 1 to 21. Say it with me. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against me, him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him count for, come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food from from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off and his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy, and the brokenhearted, to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat, May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. 
But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. First reading today is from 1 John chapter 2. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, I, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There ends the reading. So this is uh, comparable to what we heard from Ephesians uh, on Sunday morning, talking about you were once darkness, but now are light in Christ. That was from St. Paul. This is from St. John. They have the same theme, all um, confessed quite boldly, I would say, in John's Gospel, John chapter 1. But what you find is that, I, I think the scripture rightly understands those who walk in rebellion to God's word, um, that is, they reject both God and the love that God would have for their neighbor, are in darkness. They're blind. And the problem with blindness is that you cannot even see your blindness. <laughs> you can't even see the darkness that you're in. What is required, what is utterly required, is that light be sh- shown on the darkness. Right? So this is, this is what happens um, in the church. When, when the law is preached lawfully and sin is exposed, then it can be cured by the, by the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. But if it remains in darkness, then it remains sin, right? unforgiven. So it must be, again, brought to light. Stumbling about in the darkness. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Yep. All right. And speaking of hating one's brother, uh, here from Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them the time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, Till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he, had, he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem 
and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. All right, this is quite a familiar reading, and we've actually done quite a bit of catechesis on this back uh, around the Christmas time, right? Because it uh, is our remembrance. We commemorate that day. Actually, it's a feast to the Holy Innocents on December 28th, I believe. Now, Luther applies this text um, in an interesting way, I think. Um, yeah, this is uh, from his commentary on Romans chapter 2. So I'll best give you a little recap of what Romans 2 is about. Uh, Romans 2 verse 12 is what he's um, talking about. Here we go. And so this, this connects well to the First John reading as well. Uh, so Romans 2 verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law, for that not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, because and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. All right. So what is he talking about? He's talking about how um, the nature of the law is written upon the hearts. This is the reason why even the pagans, even the Gentiles, as, as they're called here, um, uh, obey to the, at least the second table of God's law, for the most part, right? Commandments 4 through 10, honoring parents, not murdering, not stealing, not committing adultery, not murder, um, destroying people's reputation or livelihood, um, and uh, not being exceedingly greedy, right? And yet, it does not justify them because, again, they are being held now by a law. Um, this is also the reason why, um, even in a secular estate, say, for example, the secular government, uh, we see a reflection of God's law, especially that second table, Commandments 4 through 10, because it's written upon our hearts, it, and it's the uh, origin of the phrase inalienable rights. Inalienable, um, because it, it's known by reason, just simply by observation. Albeit imperfectly and never obeyed. Um, to the satisfaction of God, all right? So it doesn't justify. But uh, here's what Luther does with this text, which is interesting. Um, so he's going to apply the Matthew text, and he's going to uh, be running from this Romans text. The law in this passage, that is, in the entire chapter, means the complete law of Moses, where both the Ten Commandments and also the love of God and neighbor are enjoined. How is it possible that they will perish without this law and that they have sinned without it? Without it, there can be neither sin nor merit, and therefore no punishment or reward. The answer is, though, as follows. The apostle means it this way. Without the law, namely, without the orally transmitted or written law, they will perish, even though they may know it in a different way. As he states in verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Or without the law could mean without the cooperation of the law or without the laws giving an opportunity for sinning. For a law... Um, that is not there is also not an opportunity for sinning. But the law of Moses had not been given to the Gentiles. To be sure, the Gentiles have not received the rights and orders of the law of Moses. 
nor have these been transmitted to them. Now, this is not true today. We, the Ten Commandments are on the Supreme Court building by, by way of our secular uh, government. Uh, therefore, they were neither bound to them, nor have they sinned by not following them. Like the Jews who have accepted the law, made a covenant through it without with God, and received the promise of Christ in it. Nevertheless, they have received a spiritual law, which the rites and ceremonies indicated in, in the moral sense, quite apart from the fact that they symbolize Christ. This law is impressed upon all people, Jews and Gentiles. Again, which law? Um, the law, um, the spiritual law that the rites and sin, um, ceremonies indicated in a moral sense, not, not pointing towards faith in Christ, but rather just simply in, in being upstanding or good people, according to, um, maybe towards creation. Therefore, the Lord says in Matthew seven twelve, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You see, the whole transmitted law is nothing but the natural law, which cannot be unknown to anyone and on account of which no one can be excused. The opinion of the apostle, therefore, is, as it is most clearly stated, they will perish without the law, that is, they will perish without having received the law, meaning the law of Moses. It means they have not sinned because they have not received the law, that have not observed it as the Jews. And they will not perish because they have not kept the law. But there is another reason. The same law which they have not received, they have learned to know in a different way, and yet they have not kept it. The Jews will be judged according to whether or not they have kept the law or not. As Stephen tells expressly in Acts 7.53, you who received the law did not receive it. They will perish without the law means that it is not the law that was handed down and received that will condemn them. Therefore, they will perish without a law of that kind although not without a law which is the same as that, except that it has not been handed down to them in the written code and it has not been contained or represented in it. All right, so uh, they are accused and condemned by the same law, although they've not received it by way of Moses. This is what Luther's saying in summary, All right, which is true. One could ask the question whether the Gentiles who live outside of Christ but still fulfill the law naturally and according to conscience are saved, especially since original sin is not taken away without Christ and no commandment is fulfilled without grace, even though they may have the substance of such a deed on their side, that is, give the appearance of it. And salvation is given through Christ alone. To be sure, the apostle seems to make the point here that some of the Gentiles have done and are doing the things of the law by nature, but it can arouse one's suspicion that the apostle does not say that they fulfill the law, but that they are observing some certain elements taken from the law. He says in verse 14, those things which are of the law, that is, something of the law, although not everything that belongs to the law. All right, so they fulfill it in part, is what he's saying. Um, and, and, the, and the part is according to what they know um, naturally in their hearts. Thus, they are still under sin because of other things that they have not done. <laughs> Commandments 1 through 3, for example, right? You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You remember the Sabbath day. That is, listen to his word. All right, so they're condemned by that law regardless. Thus, they are still under sin because um, of the other things that they have not done, as he says below in chapter 3, right, Rome, uh, Romans chapter 3. If one wants to understand the apostle in this way, that they are doing everything that the law demands, then one must, it seems, answer the question with yes. But if one brings up against uh, that the matter concerning Christ, original sin and grace, then the answer is, whoever fulfills the law is in Christ, and he receives grace because as much as he is able to be prepared, himself for it. As much as he is able, he has prepared himself for it. There we go. 
original sin, God could, could forgive them, even though they may not have recognized it and confessed it on account of some act of humility towards God as the highest thing that they know. Neither were they bound to the gospel and to Christ as specifically recognized, as the Jews were, not either. Or one could say that all people of this type have been given so much light and grace by the act of prevenient mercy, he's being sarcastic here, of God, as it is sufficient for their salvation in their situation, as in the case of Job, Naaman, Jethro, and others. But the first interpretation, according to which they have not done all the works of the law, does not suit me because the apostle says below in verse 27, then that which by nature is uncircumcision, keeping the law, will judge you. So look at this. Here he says that the uncircumcision, that is, the Gentile, is fulfilling the law in the same place. Verse 26, he says, if the uncircumcision keeps the precepts of the law, will not this uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? They have therefore fulfilled the law. Hmm. Whatever was lacking, and for this lack they are excused on account of their invincible ignorance, God in his forbearance without doubt supplied so that it might be made perfect through Christ in the future. This is not different from what he, what he did for the children who were uncircumcised and killed for his sake. Matthew 2, verse 16, the holy innocence. He does the same thing today for our children. All right, now this is a controversial passage. I forget when the, he wrote this. Um, this was written by Luther uh, in 15, 13 to 15, 15, no, Romans. 1515 to 1516. All right. So you notice what Luther is doing here. (laughs) This is before the 95 Theses, right? He's not actually confessing Lutheran doctrine. What? Luther can do this? Yes. This is very important to note. Um, Context matters as we talk about when we read the scripture. It also matters when we read Luther. All right. Why? Because not every bit of Luther is actually according to the gospel. Here, Luther is arguing, I don't know if you caught this, here Luther is oft, uh, arguing that, um, that the holy innocents are saved because they were righteous by their works. Uh, although he does suggest that, you know, certainly they will come, would have come to faith in Christ. All right? Now, what, how else do people argue about the death of the holy innocents? Well, they're saved by the faith of their parents. Well. Do your parents save you? No. Can their faith save you? No. So why, well, how can we call these innocents, these innocents who died for the sake of Christ, holy? That is, having died in faith. Hmm. Yes, it's for the sake of faith hear, uh, heard by the word, right? Um, so this is, this is really interesting because you read Luther and he's like, wow, Luther, you're arguing really well for the Roman Catholic position, which is that some people are saved by their works, and some people are saved by grace in Christ. Those who do not know Christ then are saved by their works, and those who know Christ, know Christ are saved by him by grace. Uh, no. right. Um, this is still, by the way, the Roman Catholic position today, and by which they will say that a righteous pagan, someone like Aristotle, um, was saved because of his, um, of his uh, wonderful philosophy that was so lawful. All right. So uh, just again, I kind of set you up here. A little bit of a word of caution, right? Uh, don't believe everything you read about or, or from even a teacher like Luther. Take it critically. Instead, say, wait a minute. What is this actually? What, what do we actually confess? We confess. We confess that we're saved by faith alone, by grace alone. And Luther won't get to that now for another couple of years. 
All right. Hold on one second. I want to grab a book. All right. We'll leave this in a minute. All right. So just an interesting uh, treatment there of the text. But again, uh, murder comes from hatred. Hatred comes from the darkness, right? And what, what is uh, Herod's challenge? He is so blinded um, by his hatred um, for this king born of the Jews that it leads him into murder. All right. To ba- uh, bishops, pastors, and preachers, let's confess. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well. He must see his children obey him with proper respect. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4 and 6. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1 verse 9. We pray. O Lord Jesus, you are the bishop and overseer of our souls. You are the Lord of the harvest and have commanded us to pray for the gift of pastors to preach the gospel and shepherd your church. Raise up men for the office of the holy ministry who are above reproach and husband of but one wife who are temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach your life-giving word. Deliver all pastors from the self-centered vices of the flesh. Grant them your grace to manage their families well and to bring up their children in the true faith with proper respect and devotion to the word of God. Give them courage to hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the gospel as it has been handed down to them and the wisdom to refute those who oppose it. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. On this Wednesday, we pray for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. We pray for parents who must rear their children alone. We pray for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. March 10th, we pray for Bryson, who today celebrates his uh, baptism birthday. We pray for Marcella, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Timothy, Sandy, Linda, and Ken, and Aaron and Penny, who are all in need of um, the Lord's healing touch. Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for the work of Camp Luisimo and Pastor Bloss. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the collect for this week, O Lord, or excuse me, O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have 
kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Before we uh, sing the hymn, uh, the book I grabbed was actually the Lutheran service book companion to the hymns, volume one. (laughs) And uh, this is what um, the Lutheran pastor, he's Canadian, who wrote this hymn, Um, Here's what he actually had to say about the hymn uh, in writing to uh, the hymnal committee. The hymn flowed out of a most blessed use of private confession, which I had sought out in my final year of seminary studies, as I felt a driving need to be shriven of a whole lot of spiritual baggage before having hands laid upon me to place me in the holy office. I was only unable to unburden myself of what I had come to recognize as the most shameful things by clinging to my baptism, trusting that the one I was crying out to was my dear father on account of Christ. As the Lord Christ speaking through the man that he called and commanded to speak for him mercifully and powerfully cleansed me, I understood more fully how this absolution truly was a return to my baptism. The cleansing wave that washed me that day flowed from the font that I was reborn in, in the some 30 years earlier in Ottawa. So the author was unaware that the hymn had been submitted to the committee preparing Lutheran service book, it says. He learned of it when he was informed that the text had been selected for the book. Isn't that interesting? He didn't even submit it to be in the hymnal, and here it is. Um, then there's actually uh, quite a long, actually, uh, treatment of the text, but uh, I'll just read the first part. This lovely hymn is an excellent example of a text that is both warmly personal and highly doctrinal. Warmly personal, highly doctrinal. While the hymn frequently refers to I, me, and my, its true emphasis is not so much on the singer as on Christ himself. Whether repenting for one's sin or holding fast to his promises of mercy, the hymn looks solely to Christ, his saving work, and the means by which his work becomes our own, that is, through our holy baptism and forgiveness of sin spoken in holy absolution. The hymn confesses the significance of holy baptism for the daily life of the Christian. The hymn helpfully indicates that true repentance consists of both contrition and faith. We dare name and confess our sins before our Father in heaven solely because of his mercy for sinners revealed to us in Jesus Christ. He is moved to forgive and save sinners because of his love and compassion founded on and manifested in the person and work of his Son, our Savior. The hymn also recognizes that the normal Christian life consists of daily contrition and forgiveness. See 1 John 1 and Romans 6. So that the life of a baptized child of God is a daily return to holy baptism. The hymn therefore uses strong baptismal language even while the singers confess their sin and rely upon Christ for mercy. All right. A little catechesis on the hymn, I guess. So let's sing it.
baptismal waters cover me as I approach on bended knee. My Father's mercy here I plead for grievous sins are fought deep. I look to Christ upon the tree, his body broken there for me. I lay before him all my sin, my darkest secrets from within. Lord, may our wounded So good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer on this March 10th, 2021. I encourage you to join us again this evening at 7 p.m. for our service of evening prayer. Again, we'll be considering another one of the martyrs of Christ Church and what it means to die, uh, or willing to die even, to confess the faith, all right, which may or may not be in our future more uh, profoundly. I think it's always in our future. It's always, we're always facing the loss of uh, reputation, friends neighbors, family, the like, for the sake of confessing um, the truth of God's word, namely faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, but um, maybe actually be willing to give up our very life for that, as many of the examples of the scriptures teach us. So join us again this evening and uh, be edified there. Otherwise, have a blessed day, and we'll see you.